Hello, everyone. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Cybersecurity Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Vogel, and joining me, as always, is Mr. Christian Redshaw. Christian, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well today. How are you, Dom? I am fantastic because we're having my friend Deb Bond on the show today, and she's joining us all the way from what I imagine would be sunny Phoenix, Arizona. It is sunny today, right? Yes, it is definitely uh, yeah. sunny. <laughs> Deb, thank you so much for joining us on, on the Cybersecurity Matters Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, we're super excited to have you. I know Christian, I'm really looking forward to this conversation and uh, I'll start off with what I hope is a fairly easy question. It's a question that we ask all of our guests. Um, I'm wondering if you could just in, indulge our loyal listeners and viewers, tell us a little bit about your career narrative. What's brought you to where you are today? Uh, thank you. That's a fantastic question. Um, Every one of us who works in the field, we all have a varied path that has brought us here. Um, I started off working for a little company called Wang Global a long time ago. Now they're known as Jetronics, based out of Amsterdam. And I was working as an admin assistant to the network administrator, who at that time, those were the people who were in charge. And one day he asked me if I wanted to learn how to reset passwords. Six months later, I was sitting for my A-plus exams, and it's just been an uphill climb ever since. Um, I really love the world of uh, PCI and governance and compliance and helping organizations build and perfect their programs. Um, most of my work is in the information security side of the house, so policy, standards, procedures, really helping the organization um, firm up its strategy and where it wants to go next. Because as you both know, this landscape is constantly changing. That's a, that's a great intro. I love it. <laughs> Dom, I think we're talking to the right person. Yes, we are. This is the I right depth. <laughs> <laughs> so my first question is, let's start by identifying in an organization who owns cyber risk. Who is the ultimate risk owner when it comes to cyber security? It's the IT guy, right? Is that, is that who should be leading that function? You know what? It tends to be a mixed bag. Um, and, and I say that, Christian, because you can read various articles on LinkedIn and elsewhere. Um, the role of the CISO has been one where you'll have a CISO who's been brought in to support an organization, but they don't really have that ownership role. So we kind of tend to refer them to them as the scapegoat CISO. So... They're the ones that get canned when something goes wrong. But then you have CISOs who have stepped into the role where they truly have the ear of the board, where they truly have the ear of the decision makers, and they have that support. Now, information security and CISOs, uh, the groups that sit underneath them, are, are typically brought in to provide governance and report what they see and provide recommendations where the IT side of the house information technology has been traditionally called upon to find and implement the solution but sometimes those lines get a little bit blurred but you know at the at the basic level christian you're correct information technology should be uh, the ones responsible for handling that risk while the grc and information security side of the house helps the business to identify and quantify that risk that's good. So let me ask you a different question. It's sort of forward slash to that question. If something happens, if there's a breach that goes out into the public and people are affected, who's going to get pinned to the wall for what went wrong? 
You know what? I, I wish I could give you the ultimate answer for that, but many times it depends. Um, it could be a third party that has presented unreasonable risk to the organization. It could be internal controls that haven't been documented and remediated. Um, it could be patching or vulnerabilities that haven't been remediated. Or it could be very simply that there is another source of data sitting in the environment that no one knows about and there's not an owner of, and it's been stolen. So the various, it, it, can, it can vary, but ultimately you're going to look at probably a C-suite executive taking the heat for that. So, uh, that's, I think, the answer I was hoping you would arrive at. Yes. Uh, I, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm totally hogging the microphone, Deb, from, from Dom, but I'll, I'll give you the whole rest of the time here. <laughs> um, in, this, in the vibe of um, you know, healthy relationships within an organization, in a, in a healthy organization, what is the relationship between um, IT and cybersecurity look like and you know, IT and cybersecurity and the C-suite and the board? How, how should that relationship flow work to get the job done and manage risks? Let's start with one word, transparent. Transparent, no silos. You need to have a free flow of communication that also goes with trusting relationships because teams are not made up of people who work together. Teams are made up of people who trust one another. Emphasis intended because people say well it's a group of people working together but they cannot work together effectively if they don't trust one another so you need to have that free flow of communication coming from both sides you also need to find yourself working in an environment where it's okay to fail and it's okay to be transparent you don't know what you don't know and we all have things that we don't know that's why we hire people smarter than us to help us figure out those things that we don't know. Because every problem is figure outable. Every problem can be solved. You just need to have the right people in the right place. And that's when the magic happens. That sounds healthy to me. Yeah, I, love, I love that line. That's where the magic happens. You know, maybe uh, you know, par parlaying off that to a non-magical place um, around policies. <laughs> um, or, uh, one of the things which we see with a lot of organizations is that they may have these policies in place. I mean, I'm talking about cybersecurity policies, but either they just exist in someone's you know, uh, folder, whether that folder be virtual or physical. Uh, it may be something that was created 10 years ago and no one's updated. We've even seen ones where they just had ChatGPT create a bunch of policies and they're like, these are our security policies. How do you go from having policies that maybe exist in paper, but don't exist in reality, how do you bridge that so that they become the magical policies that are actually upheld with, uh, uh, at the organization? That's a really good question, um, Dom. So let me see if I can and start to give you an answer. One of the things I did in a previous role was I was brought on board to build an information security program from scratch. It didn't exist when I got there. So we had no people. The department wasn't there and the policies that did exist um, in some places resembled um, a tragic exercise of copy and paste off the internet. Many of them hadn't been touched for maybe six or seven years. So we did make an investment in time. And when I say we, I mean myself and my team uh, made a significant investment in time to 
review some of these policies and many we just threw them on the trash pile and started over um, and remap them to uh, some of our own standards like such as NIST and then obviously the PCI requirements. Um, but it's really about talking to the business because you brought up a really good point, Dominic. Policies are on paper only if they don't represent what the business is doing. So it's really important that you get a good understanding of the business. Here's a policy that we're that we have documented. Now, are we doing this? If we're not, then we need to take a look at that policy and make sure that it is revised in such a way that it represents what we are doing. Because when you have audits such as SOC 2, PCI, HIPAA, high trust, what have you, they're going to pull those policies. And if you're not doing what you say you're doing, you're going to get dinged during your audit. Now, that can have a significant impact on your stakeholders, but further down the line, that can have an impact on your ability to maintain cybersecurity insurance, and it can have an ability on uh, an impact on the trust that your customers place in you. Because if they see that you're not able to successfully complete a SOC 2 type 2 uh, type of an assessment or a PCI assessment because your policies don't line up with what's required, there may be other questions as to what things other are you not doing. You say you're doing it, but you're not doing it. The concern then becomes around what other levels of risk lie in your organization that you either don't know about or you're choosing to ignore. And what could those unrealized risks lead to further in the organization. We hear about data breaches. We hear about ransomware every single day. And many times the reason that these things are happening is because we're failing at the basics. We're failing to make sure that people understand the dangers associated with uh, phishing emails. And you can train, train, train your employees at large, but you need to have other controls in place to make sure that if they do click on that link, and they will, they are going to click it. What do you have in place to keep it from getting worse? I'm just hanging on every word that you're talking, uh, Deb. This, this is just fantastic stuff. And um, I'm going to parlay off something that you mentioned earlier about you know, how you build this information security program from the ground up. We're seeing a lot of, I'll just call them SMBs that are now in a position where they are building their first cybersecurity program. They are building it from, from the ground up. What, what would you say are, are maybe those first foundational building blocks? Now you, I know you alluded to some of them, but let's say, and you're going in and you, know, you have enough budget to say, okay, well, here's, here's the top three you know, risk reducing controls I'm going to focus on. What are, what to those, um, in your mind, what, what are those areas? I know you mentioned like, like, like maybe phishing training or phishing simulations, security awareness. I wonder if you could just extend that a bit further. What do you see of those as, as foundational building blocks for SMBs that are building out their InfoSec program from the ground up? Well, if you're building out your InfoSec program from the ground up, I think it's foundational that you need to have your suite of policies. And in order to have a suite of policies, you need to have the support of your CISO or CIO and the support of your general counsel. And the reason I said general counsel is that is where your cybersecurity insurance sits. That's where your vendor relationships are going to sit. You may have a third party function internally, but someone else is negotiating those contracts and signing off on the SALs and the MSAs. So you need to make sure that your legal team 
has partnered up with InfoSec so that when they're going through these contract reviews, make sure that the paper contains all of the language that's needed to hold that third party accountable for privacy and security. And there is a difference between data privacy and data security. They are not the same thing. I'm gonna just in, in, indulge you there real quick then. Could you maybe just um, distinguish between data security and data privacy for our curious viewers and listeners? <laughs> yes. So data security is around the practices that we put into place to protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of data. That's within our network borders. Data privacy, that pertains to who can access that data and why. So when I say data privacy, think uh, GDPR, think CCPA. When I think data security, think about things like um, logical access controls to databases containing this data or encryption mechanisms that are in, put in place to protect this data from unauthorized access. Thank you for answering that, Deb. Um, one more question, and it was something you said just before that you were talking about, you know, policies and looking at the vendors, you know, your your suppliers, your supply chain. Um, why is that important to do that? What kind of risks can be there? And then how do you actually identify what those risks are and then manage them? Whew, that's a loaded question, <laughs> but I love that question, Christian. So I got into third-party security during my days at LifeLock. Um, that was one of the first big areas that I had full control over for a period of time. I learned all about third-party security risk assessments, some of the things to look for, some of the things that were showstoppers, and why they were showstoppers. I had an amazing CISO that I worked for there. Can I say her name? Yeah, of course. Christy Shan. She is currently uh, running um, information security groups over at Airbnb. But she taught me so, so much about third-party security. And that is a program that I started implementing in my most recent role. And one of the things that we have to realize is that apart from insiders, insider threat will always be there because you're always going to have unhappy employees or even employees who are doing something wrong and they don't even know it. But third-party risk is even more significant because we don't have eyes on their security posture. We can't see what they have in place and how they're using it. So it's really important to get that security documentation from them. Look at their policies and their procedures. Um, get their most recent SOC 2, HIPAA, high trust, PCI, attestation of compliance. Talk to them about what they do and how they do it. Because if they don't have good um, data protection mechanisms in place, that's where you can have those unnecessary levels of risk. In my opinion, when what I've done with third parties is if they are going to access, process, transmit, or store our customer data, or if they're going to require access to our network, I do a thorough, very thorough assessment with them. And as a general rule, I don't like to allow third parties to have access to our network. I would much rather go back to the rep who's working with that business and say, okay, what data do you need from us and why do you need it? If you cannot give me a good reason as to why you need this data, if you're just throwing out a wide net to see how much stuff you can get from us so you can spam our customers, I'm going to shut it down. If you can give me a reasonable explanation as to why it's needed and legal agrees, then we can come up to an agreement. 
But third parties often will have uh, fewer security controls or they will not be as forthcoming with what's going on. And many times they're moving at the speed of light when it comes to receiving information because they're looking at how they can monetize that. So they may not be paying attention to all of the other security controls they have in place or need to have in place to make sure that that data is protected. So, so well said, and I'm formulating a question here that I hope is not too painful as I process it and ask it at the same time. But I think I'll ask it this way. Like I'm thinking about vendor risk management. I'm thinking about the RFP process, right? And so maybe just from the, you know, you are the person putting out the RFP. Um, what are you looking for um, there? Like uh, as the security person who's maybe speaking into the RFP criteria and maybe things are, you know, certain answers are given. <laughs> what kind of... Um, what kind of a lens are you looking at those answers through in order to um, see whether they're just, you know, attesting to um, security being there or, or, you know, how much proof are you looking for that, uh, <laughs> that the protection is there on the other side? That's a great question. So sorry, it was it was actually a horrible question, but I hope you understand no, what I'm actually trying to. It's ask. a great question. So I look at it through the lens of a data centric evaluation. And because data is the most precious asset we have in any organization, the data of our customers is our most sacred data. It can contain everything from name to address to date of birth, social and other information that either a malicious insider or an external threat can use to steal their identity. And we don't want that to happen. So what we do is we look at assessments, or I do, as from a data-centric perspective. What do they have? How are they protecting it in transit? How are they protecting it at rest? And what security attestations do they have to prove to me that that data is safe? And many times it goes beyond just sending me their policies and documentation. I've had many vendors where I have had several calls, walk me through your data flow, Show me where this data lives. Who has access to it? Show me the table grants, the role grants to these tables and who has that access? Who can run you know, a query to say, select all and then export that? Who can do those things? If you're storing it in another way, are they flat files? How is that data protected? And who has access to view it, download it and run reports on it? So the, the bar can be high and I can ask a lot of questions, but really that's what it's all about. They have to prove to me that that data is secure because I in turn have to go sell this to my CIO and or my CISO and legal because if there is even the smallest inkling that there's something going amiss with their security posture, legal is going to have us go back and ask more questions. Deb, we've been recording all day and like the, this has just been phenomenal. Like, like the, the energy you've brought in through the, your, your wisdom and your insights, like you just absolutely slayed it. As my daughter would say, like, that was just amazing. That was a, <laughs> Mine says the same yeah. thing. <laughs> no, just an awesome, awesome conversation. That was absolutely fantastic. 
absolutely love the the shout out to um, to your, your former CISO there. And the door is open. If she ever wants to come on the podcast, let her know. We're, we're always happy to have the. Uh, well, I'll uh, tell her. <laughs> I will tell her for sure. <laughs> always love random shout outs. Uh, but uh, we'd love to have you on again. Uh, you're going to be a recurring guest. Just lo- love your energy. Love your um, wisdom. And thank you so, so much for joining us on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast today. That was phenomenal. Oh, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it. And Chris and I will be right back to wrap up today's episode. That was a phenomenal episode. I just, the, the, the poise that uh, Deb answered every question, the, the depth and breadth of her answers was mm-hmm. just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of takeaways, but what was one of your favorite takeaways? Yeah, I mean, my observation is that she embodies cybersecurity and she really understands where it fits in the organization. My takeaway is, you can have uh, cybersecurity, you can put answers on an insurance application or an RFP um, questionnaire, um, but you need to be able to prove it. Yep. Uh, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll echo that and I'll, I'll pretty much say if you're bullshitting your RFPs, people <laughs> like Deb are going to hunt you down. So um, be, yeah. be prepared. Uh, if you've gotten away with it so far, act now. You had to go negative, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, well, it's, not, it's, it's taking it a step further, it let's is, put it that it way. Uh, but uh, special thank you to Deb for joining us today on the podcast and a special thank you to our loyal uh, listeners and viewers who join us each and every week. Uh, if you did happen to miss an episode, do check out the Cybersecurity Matters YouTube page and or check out old episodes on your preferred podcasting platform. Until next time, be well, be safe, and we'll see you again sometime, sometime in the future on the Cybersecurity Matters podcast. <laughs>